Welcome to the podcast, Cocktail Party Economic Conversations, with your hosts, Evie Adamate and Richard Maranta. Well, welcome back to Cocktail Party Economic Conversations. Um, we're talking about exchange. So this is chapter three in the Cocktail Party Economics. And I'm really glad to have uh, Brandon Gorman here as our special guest. Uh, really great. You can make it. Thanks. Thrilled to be here. Hi, Brandon. It's uh, Rick Maranta. Um, so yeah, just uh, tell us a bit about yourself. Um, you, you, your title on LinkedIn says you're Vice President, Treasury Solutions and Commercial Cards. So I, we meet a lot of interesting people with interesting titles. So only thing I know about treasure and cards is like from games like uh, D&D. So, so tell us a bit about what you do. Um, um, and, and, then, and then maybe I'll ask you a bit about your journey from University of Guelph to now. So just tell us about your, your role and kind of things that you are involved in. Absolutely. So uh, I am uh, the National Vice President for Treasury and Commercial Card for Canada. Um, and really the core, of, I have a team of about 100 people across Canada that assist business clients on what I'd like to say maybe is really making financial transactions. Um, and that's either the receiving of transactions for goods that they've put out to customers or that's for paying for supplies that goes into the goods that they put out. Um, really, my team really focuses on putting digital platforms together for business clients to just help facilitate those transactions in an easy, safe, secure way. Um, and that could be transactions within a country, that could be transactions within a city, or right across the world as well, uh, which I'm sure you'll get right into based on certain economics as well. So it's a pretty exciting group I have. Great. So in terms of, uh, you know, we talk about banks as being um, financial intermediaries. So you're really facilitating buyers meeting sellers and being, feeling safe. So what kind of things do you do to make clients feel safe? Well, when I think about making clients feel safe, it's usually we're dealing with a client's money almost every single day. So if they're sending a $100 payment or if they're making their employees payroll, or they could be sending millions of dollars across the world to pay for goods or services that they may want to sell or distribute within the Canadian marketplace. Um, so we start small and we go big, depending on what the size of the, cl the client's business is. But every single day, we're helping them facilitate the transfer of usually funds, either across cities, across countries, uh, which is pretty interesting to see, kind of given the diverse nature of our, our clients here in Canada. Um, but they're all also looking at a way to do this in a safe and secure way. So it's not like your online banking um, logins that I think all of us use personally. Uh, it is a bit of a more complex system that offers them sometimes two-factor authentication. So not someone in the organization can send out all the money without, without someone else okaying it. Um, we set up the right protocols in place to help facilitate that for them. Have you ever had anybody do that? Like take the money out of the company? Uh, it, it, unfortunately, it does happen. It's, it's fraud, right? And, and the interesting piece is that no matter how hard we look to set things up, uh, business owners can at times put too much trust within people within organizations that unfortunately do send money out. But that's why we try to set up those whole two-factor authentication. So not only one person can send it, someone else has to do it. And I would say the final, final approver, we always endeavor to be kind of a, a high-level level person within the organization, so a CFO or a CEO. I guess it's kind of a balance between uh, ease of use 
right? And security is always that you got to find that nice middle ground, right? Because things that get so complicated, people just get fed up, right? I guess you're trying to find solutions that are easy to use. Absolutely. And, and I think what, something that we've seen incredibly on the rise in Canada, it's, it's definitely across the world, is cyber fraud. So it's on clicking on those phishing links that come in and download malware to your computer that could steal some of your passwords. So we do have great uh, protections as an institution for clients, but there's nothing to protect if, client, if customers, uh, employees are working together to, to fraud, fraud a company, unfortunately. Uh, but we do try to provide education wherever we can to our customers. Can, can you uh, can you just sort of go back and just give us a just a quick overview of your journey from the uh, University of Guelph to to where you are now and sort of your interests how they've changed throughout? Absolutely. So I, I was a 2006 BCom grad out of the university and and really I loved every minute of my time there. I'm still I'm supporting my Guelph uh, where today actually for this call, um, but I actually started in the branch network. Uh, working part-time in a local branch. One of the first branches I ever worked in is actually in the RBC branch in downtown Guelph. Um, and then I just progressively worked up uh, my way through the organization. I, I worked in small business at one particular point in time in Toronto. I spent over eight years in our commercial banking side of the business as a commercial account manager. Um, so it may be a big word if you don't understand how the bank works, but it's basically a relationship management role uh, that helps our business clients grow and, and make connections uh, again across cities across organizations or across the country um, and then i grew into management roles managing a large branch in the gta um, and then went to get some strategy experience so i put my mba to good use and worked for our national head office downtown toronto uh, before i picked up this mandate about a year ago um, and given the change in digital banking and the change of what we've gone through with COVID, it's been a really interesting ride so far Wow. Yeah. So would you say that now, um, like digital is just more important than ever because people just don't trust any other mechanism of transfer? I would say in Canada, we're still trying to break through a lot of old mindsets. You'd be surprised at the number of business owners that still like to hand sign their checks and think that that's a really good element of control. Um, but yes, I would say through COVID, when everyone was kind of locked in their homes and all their offices are closed, it really forced them to think differently about digital um, and allowed them to have some great conversations with my teams across the country to make sure they can figure out how to facilitate the exchange of funds across the world in a safe way. Yeah, that's true. I could see where, you know, I think about my mother, you know, we got her on an iPad, which was kind of interesting. She's 80. And, uh, but she still wants to go to the branch to update her passbook. <laughs> when was the last time you've been in a bank? Oh, it, I, li I literally stop in maybe once every few weeks to pick up my mail and that's it. Cause because I work from home right now. Um, but for me to go into a branch to do some type of banking related, it's probably been a year and a half, two years, uh, since I've actually sat down with someone. It's been a long time. Yeah. I think, you, Rick? I think it's, oh man maybe over 10 years, the same with going inside a gas station. I don't think I've been in there for like 10 years, like literally. Like maybe yeah, to buy so some like- early adopter. Whenever there's technology, he, he yeah. was the first people. <laughs> I'm still the, you know, we still get checks. My husband runs a company, so he still gets checks. So I'll go, I was there at the bank today, you know, with our deposit book to put in the, put in the check. <laughs> so businesses don't always tr do transfers with each other. 
They don't. We're, again, I think we'll get a lot better in that space. And, and I would say as personal consumers, we've done a good job around digital engagement, digital enablement. And the piece that I think has helped facilitate a lot of that is credit cards. Like people use credit cards for everything now. Like I think I pay for my Rogers bill, my 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 gas, my uh, internet, like every everything I could put through my credit card, I put through for points, of course. Um, but we're starting to see that evolve on the business side. So we're trying to find ways on clients can exchange larger sums of money through either physical cards or even virtual cards coming out in the future uh, in a safe, secure way. Uh, it, it'll even help combat fraud kind of the next nth degree, which is kind of cool. What's a virtual card? It literally is a credit card that goes by, almost by email and, and the credit card number changes. So it can only be used to pay for that one invoice that that business client client might want to pay a specific supplier. So it's not like the repeatable card that we use to pay for our, like our Rogers or, or cable or internet or whatever it might be. Um, that card would almost be preloaded with a specific dollar value for a specific transaction to pay a specific invoice and it can't be used for anything else. Wow. So is it like an e-transfer only credit? It's very similar. Okay. That's an easy way of explaining it. Yes. Okay, because e-transfers are very specific usually, you know, and you have to have a code and it's unique every time you use it. But uh, but this is like you're accumulating some debt every time you make this transfer. So are- uh, you could, like you could, you could pay it off, but the benefit is you could be getting the rewards from it or the additional time to pay, which is one of the great benefits uh, that card offers through transactions. You get sometimes that extra 30 to 45 days to pay versus having to pay from your bank account today. So in terms of transactions, um, how many people, like of transactions in Canada, or maybe how many, how much is going through a credit card versus a debit? Oh, it's, um, it is increasingly, it's billions of dollars that are going through a credit card now. And I would say the adoption rate on the personal side is much higher. Um, And where I would say where we see this market going over the next kind of one to five years, it's almost a multifold increase of where we see card going um, on the, at least on the business side, we've got great adoption on the personal side already, but I think you'll see cash start to dwindle a bit more. You'll see even e-transfers start to change a bit in, into more of these virtual cards or card-based uh, get card-based programs over time as well. So that, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I recently started using Google Pay. And it's just amazing. Like I, I'm addicted now. I just pay everything because it's, I can, it used to be, you know, tap was a limit, right? You have a hundred dollar limit. I yeah. can go in now and buy all my groceries with my smartphone, right? So, so what you're saying now, I guess, is your responsibility is more the commercial side, trying to get that same adoption in, among businesses so that they can have transactions like that, right? Exactly. So for example, when you use a Google Pay, we, like, there still has to be almost a bank engine behind the scenes that helps when you buy groceries. There has to be a bank engine behind the scenes that helps collect the money from all the consumers buying groceries to deposit in that big grocer's account, or even if it's a local or a large conglomerate like a Loblaws, uh, to collect that money. And then we'd work with those clients because they have all these suppliers to pay for all their fruits and vegetables and things like that. And we'd work with them to find ways, um, the most efficient ways to get payments out to those suppliers as well. Yeah. So in this chapter, we talk a lot about you make things, you sell them, and then you consume things. So we don't have barter anymore because barter is just terribly inefficient. And money was this wonderful thing that came along to solve this double coincidence of wants. And now you're saying we actually, you know, money is getting faster in the sense that we can get rid of cash, which is slow. 
in the sense that you have to go the, you know, you have to go get the cash out of the account and then go pay cash and then you go take cash back. So now it's all being done electronically with cards and to the point where there's even no cards. These cards are virtual cards. They're not even physical yeah. cards anymore. Wow. Yeah. Wow. We <laughs> <laughs> Times are changing, right? Oh, um, yeah. One piece that you even consider as a consumer, like as a buyer or seller in the marketplace, if you think of the supply and demand, is that as the kind of the industry itself has grown over the past, I would say, few decades, uh, we don't necessarily just deal in one currency anymore either. So it's not just Canadians buying from Canadians as much as we like to see that. But we do import a lot of goods. And generally, they don't want our Canadian dollars all the time. We've got to find a method of exchange in other dollars. So my team helps uh, give clients advice around foreign exchange as well and the biggest obviously the exchange is US dollars but it's finding about how do we buy it when is a good time to buy it, to help facilitate some of these contracts customers have in place as well so do you do so, a lot of hedging um, so we work with our capital markets team to work on hedging uh, so we certainly make those connections wherever possible for customers uh, and hedging is a great alternative for some business clients to consider because it helps protect their margin on certain transactions uh-huh can you explain hedging for like a non-economics guy? <laughs> it sounds like something uh, I do outside way, yeah. in the backyard, you know, the hedging. Uh, <laughs> um, an easy way to explain it is, uh, let's say we have a, a, one of our clients needs to buy a million dollars worth of auto parts out of, out of China, as an example. And the, the Chinese supplier wants to be paid in US dollars. Um, the margins on these transactions are generally very thin, um, so that our client may want to hedge themselves. And what that means, they may want to go in and either hedge themselves to either 50 or 100%. And what I mean by that, they may make a decision today, say, no matter what the market's going to do in the future, we're going to buy $500,000 US today or $1 or million in US today. But we don't want to buy that. We we want to know the rate we're paying today, but we actually don't want to deliver on that contract till we actually physically need to make the payment. Mm -hmm. So there's financial instruments that can be used behind the scenes to help facilitate that. And the nice thing that it does for clients, it helps them understand where they can protect their margins, where they're earning money on certain transactions, where they're earning uh, uh, money on certain maybe customer contracts. And it helps protect where they're going to go because the last thing you want to do is try to speculate on the market because I don't know if anyone's ever going to win by thinking and speculating what could happen in the future. Okay. I was just thinking as you were talking, I was thinking, wow. So do you feel like economics helped you in your study? <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you, you always think about the supply and demand. I think when I used to give business clients advice when I was a relationship manager, they had products that they were building that they had to sell to somebody. So you had to understand like what was the market for the product they were selling, where were their products going, if it was domestic or abroad, um, or is it just local? Um, like it's interesting when you sit back and reflect on the impact economics and understanding of economics can have on a multitude of things that we do either for work or for personal. It definitely comes into practice a lot. So I do equate some of the learnings I had from Guelph certainly into to my career today. Yeah, I was sitting there thinking, wow, I, I'm sure the average student, I'm not sure they still would know what hedging was, because <laughs> it's really, I, I, I'm going to take a stab at it and see if I can, hedging is basically saying, uh, I need to know how much I'm going to spend a, a month from now, it's going to be 10 bucks, so I'm going to 
pay the contract now for the right to deliver a month from now. I'm for I'm buying a forward contract. So I'm gonna yeah. I'm agreeing to a price that's not now, that's in the future, but it guarantees that price so that I don't have any risk that if suddenly the stuff you know the exchange rate change that I'm now having to spend a lot more to pay for that because is it usually I more is it usually more than you'd pay today? Uh, depends it's on no what. No, it depends on what the market is forecasting. So the forward market exchange rate is telling you where you think the exchange rate is going, and it might be going down. Oh, okay. So it's like where so, the hedge your bets, is that where that turn came from? Turn came from? <laughs> I think hedge your bets is a great analogy for this. Okay. Yeah, you're just, you're just, uh, so a perfect hedge is you guarantee you know exactly what's going to happen. Right. So it doesn't matter what the market has done because yep. the market could have tanked, but you have a contract that's got it higher. So you, right. you, you've gotten rid of all your risk, okay. but it's very tricky. You know, once people start to get into financial markets, the language gets so complicated, you know, people do, you know, they call things and you you have no idea what they are unless you're in the in the know so to speak right so it's it really tricky do you find that you have to educate a lot of your clients so that they know what's going on we do spend a lot of time and that's on everything that's not specific just to hedging but even on like digital banking digital platforms even like different ways to send money worldwide or even abroad like domestically uh, I think that's one of the best things that we can do around advice is education. Um, but definitely, when you get into some of these financial instruments, and you, we really only talked about one hedging opportunity. There's several that can go into that. Mm -hmm. um, but that's why we have experts within the bank that only focused on things like foreign exchange and hedges to make sure that we can take it slow with clients, that they understand what they're getting into, and, and the benefits or risks associating to doing that as well. Mm -hmm. So uh, it just strikes me. You look really young. How did you become a <laughs> You look really young. I get, I, I get razzed on that all the time at the bank. Uh, I, 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 so I, I'm almost 20 years at RBC. I do have a bit of a baby face, I will give you. So I do look younger than probably my real age. But um, I am close. I'll be 20 years in April within the bank. Wow. Good job. <laughs> You know, I think that's a, this is nothing to do with exchange, but it's sort of a, um, a life skill. I've noticed this with people. If you stay a long time in a company, you can sometimes, you know, like there's some theory that says you should jump companies to progress, but that's only early in your career. After a while, it, it's sticking it out that gets you to uh, higher levels of responsibility. Would you say staying has been a major source of He's helping? He's not going to say sticking it out. Because <laughs> no, but I mean, I, I mean, it's not. I don't mean it. In, no. I, I think sticking it out is a really good thing. Yeah. I've stuck it out with my kids. I'm sticking, <laughs> stick it out with everybody that I, you know. But no, it's sometimes it's easy to uh, think, oh, you know, it could be better somewhere else. Abandon, and um, often it isn't. Well. I like like to see is I've invested my time the right way with the right organization. <laughs> yes. But, well, uh, 
are there times in anyone's career that you're like, I could leave and get a bigger job and better job somewhere else because someone wants to kind of buy into the in, like the knowledge and power that I've been able to develop over the years? Absolutely, you could. But like, I I'm a pretty loyal individual. Uh, the bank's been great to me in terms of uh, helping me develop and further my career, and that's not just position. That's the advice and counsel and the connections that I've also been able to build through the, the almost two decades that I've been in the bank. I think the piece that some people forget is like there's a value to the network that you have within the organization. And sure, you could leave for that promotion or $10,000 more in money, but there's that almost intrinsic value of the network that you have within an organization that's really tough to give up on. Um, I've seen people leave RBC and come back to RBC, and we hire people from other banks or other institutions quite often. Um, and culture is an important piece. I always talk about it. it's not always greener on the other side. And I know that's terms used quite a bit um, because things can seem great at the point of entry, but then you get there, you're like, I've just given up so much. And it's hard to get that back once you've left. But the bank's been good to me. I love it. It's been a great organization to work for from both in a, like a personal component. Uh, I think I get as much out of the organization as I put in as well, which I think is something to take into consideration. So there's an exchange even in the workplace where there's a give and a take, right? You're, you're getting, you're giving. I think it's a good sign. Like whenever I see somebody that's been like in these organizations, like there's a Swiss chalet across the road, right? And it's an excellent Swiss chalet, but the staff have been there, like the majority of staff uh, have been there for years, like 10, 15 years. We've been going, you know, for years. And, um, and it's also excellently run. And so there's this, you know, value, obviously they have, it's a good franchise, you know, and so somehow people are happy and they stay, right? So it's not actually a negative, I would say it's a positive for an organization from outside looking in saying, oh, look, this guy's been here for 20 years, right? Um, low turnover, right? It's, it's actually positive. So how's COVID? I mean, I believe in these networks. So uh, how is how is social capital being accumulated when you can't actually get together? I think you have to make time for it. So like I used to work, like I, I have a home office, but I used to go downtown two to three days a week and I would sit in our big office buildings and the piece that I'm a social person at heart. So one of the things I absolutely love to do is to connect with people. And if that's going for lunch with them, for coffee with them, that personal connection, that social connection, I think is important personally, but it's also important for business. Right. It's important to develop. that. Um, so now that like my entire team's working from home, I would think like almost 70 percent of our entire bank is working from home right now because of COVID. So you have to work harder at it. So you have to stare at a camera a bit more. But there's no harm why you can't pick up the phone or turn on the camera and have good career conversations. And I would say over the course of the last month, I've had more conversations around career than I probably had in the first half of the entire year. And I think people are starting to realize, like, if you want the conversations, you need to make the conversations and you need to make time for the conversations. But the nice thing is, at least within RBC, there are so many senior people within the organizations that will make time to have the conversation, which I think is incredibly important as well. Yeah, no, it isn't. Maybe in some ways, once people get used to this idea that we've moved to digital relationships almost, um, then you don't have to get in your car, go downtown, connect, you know, you can have a, a, a 45 minute call and it, 
And as long as you work really hard at making it meaningful, then it's okay. It's partly what we're trying to do with these podcasts is having meaningful conversations mm -hmm. where a student can listen and find, oh, that was a gem. Um, but um, it doesn't take a long time. You don't have to go, you know, you have to drive to a conference hall to, you know, go to a conference to hear this talk. You can just get it in your ear or watching it because uh, it's online. Absolutely. And we try to do that internally and we also try to do that externally for clients. It's like our 10 minute take that gets uh, posted every single day from our economist that helps both give staff an understanding of what's going on, but also for clients can sign up and listen to this. But like I have a team across the country, so I can't, although I flew across the country quite a bit before COVID, I'd only see them one-offs. Like I live through video, I live through WebEx. Uh, and it's really important to drive that digital connection with not only clients, but also internal people within the bank as well. Mm -hmm. Well, Rick's an e-learner, so this is his area of expertise. E-learning, <laughs> yeah. Good I, business I, for you, Rick, right now. Yeah, I have a business uh, that does e-learning development for corporations and companies and organizations. Yeah, so it's, yeah, it's an interesting time because uh, everyone's shifting that way to train their staff, to train uh, or even just educate outside clients about their products and stuff. So there's lots going on. Yeah. So yeah. your demand is up. Yeah. My demand's up <laughs> and, and I, I eat a lot. So my curve is, uh, uh, you know, I'm expanding the curve. Rather than <laughs> well, this was a really great conversation. I'm really glad yeah. this uh, worked out for us to have you, Brandon. And um, I think that, um, some things are going to be irrevocably changed by COVID. It, we're never going back. And there was a lot of push that happened. And so I'm sure digital is going to just take off everywhere. And we won't go back to the face-to-face -face that we had before. I'm sure we won't. Nope. Too and I have, a, I have a big bag of coins that I've been carrying around in my bag. So can I bring them into your branch, the local branch? Hey, the branch can branch will still take your coins. Don't worry. Um, but I, I would agree with you. I mean, this, like the whole digital world's totally changed. And, and, and if anything I've seen right now, we've seen changes in the bank that we thought would take years have literally taken weeks or months here. So like I, I see the change happening every single day. We will have a new bank and new business a new world, uh, in a positive way once we, we, once we come through everything COVID related. Yeah. No, that's great. True. Well, thanks a lot. And, uh, Thank we'll you. connect again some other time. Definitely. Thanks for the invite.